0: guys. Alright, well good morning. Um, my name is Doug, and it's a joy to be able to open God's word and, and just worship with you this morning. Um, thanks, Simon Liz, for just that awesome reminder of how um, yeah the depths of his love is one that the side of eternity. I don't know that we'll fully understand. Um, and I think as humans, we try to do our best to hang words on it, um, to communicate it. Um, but uh, yeah, we're just it's a good reminder that we still can't fully do that. I mean, just even sit for a moment and, and maybe just bow your head and, and just reflect on God's love for you, just in silence. Thinking about the links that he went to to bring you into his family, to call you his child, to call you one of his own. Think about maybe what lies in your past sin, namely, hurt, pain. Brokenness. Think about who you were before Jesus came into your life, and as that image comes to your mind, it is amazing to think that God saw that exact same you and said, I want that. I want him. I want her. I want to be their father. I want them to be mine. It's a love that we can't earn. It's a love that we don't deserve. Father, we thank you for it. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, this week, we are the series that we're in right now. There's part of me that just wants to fold up my message and preach something else, but I'm going to do my best to stick with the plan, all right? Um, The message that we are, the series that we're in right now, um, really, if you have your bulletin open up, there's a little insert in there. And and what our hope is, is, is for all of us here at Parkview Church to know what it means to be a part of Parkview Church. It's as simple as that. Christ created the church, he's the head of the church, he left the church with a very specific mission, that mission can be summarized in the Great Commission, go therefore into all of the nations and make disciples, right, and as we think about what it means to make disciples, the church's mission to make disciples, specifically as as a church, how do we do that? Um, in, in that insert it kind of lays for you kind of our plan by which we will make disciples and and really the passage that we're using to kind of frame our whole plan is Mark chapter 3 verses 13 to 15 which says and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him he, he appointed the twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons so in these verses we see Really what Jesus' plan is to make disciples of all nations, and that is first people that will come to Him, they will then spend time with Him, and then He will then fling them out into the world to make disciples. Um, Last week we we spoke and we spent time thinking specifically as we worship, as we gather together as a people Sunday morning as His body, what should that time, what should that space look like as we worship, as we gather to worship Him? And this week we're going to turn our attention to this idea of as we come to him in worship and we spend time with him, the idea is that we should grow into Christ-likeness. We should become more and more like him. So really the whole message this week is going to focus on this idea of growing in Christ-likeness. Growing in Christ-likeness. My recommendation to you is, you know, I, I believe very strongly that that. Sometimes we can put on a front and try to be something that we aren't or try to communicate something that's not real. Um, I believe very strongly in just shooting straight with folks and just being like, this is who we are, all right? We would love for you to be a part of this body, But at the same time, we don't want you to think that this is a body that, that operates a certain way or does something differently if it's not maybe what you're looking for. And so our hope is to just be very upfront and real about what is our plan to make disciples. This is who we are. My challenge to you would be over the next couple of weeks, especially this series, as we talk about these next three weeks, gather, growing, and going together. And then after that, we look at the traits. What do we believe the traits of a disciple should look like that is produced at Parkview East? As we dive into this series, my challenge to you is if there's a Sunday that you miss, all of the messages are recorded, they're all posted online, you can get them on the app, Um, and and my challenge to you would be to spend some time and listen. Listen to the message and listen to who we are, learn who we are specifically, not just who we are, but who we're trying and striving to be, okay? And so if you miss a week, that's okay, just go ahead and listen. Um, I would like for us to all be on the same page. My. My message this morning is going to come from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I would invite you, if you have your Bible, one of the things, if you're new here, you'll notice, we don't get in the habit too often of putting words on the screen, because I really challenge you to bring your Bible with you on Sunday morning. Um, If you don't have a copy of the Lord's Word, Craig there has one. He can come around and pass it to you. Obviously, your phone is a great place. I'm going to just be real, though. I usually don't, maybe it works for you, but like for me, reading God's Word on my phone sometimes like, it, it doesn't help me very much because when I look at my physical Bible and I see where the passage is, like, on a page, like that, it, it, it helps me remember it, okay? Just the physical act of reading. So I don't want to, if you have your phone, it's convenient, I totally get it. It's okay. There's not one more sanctified than the other, okay? But I'm just saying, I think it's really helpful. Plus, there's also part of me that really wants my kids to go to a church where they see, they see men and women walking in the church with Bibles in their hands. There's something beautiful, beautiful about that, all right? And so I would encourage you, if you, if you have God's Word, um, bring it. If you don't have a copy at home, you know, grab one from here. You could, it, it wouldn't be stealing, okay? It would be a gift, all right? So you don't have to steal God's Word from us. You can have it. It's just receive that this morning. Okay, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me pray for our time. Father God, Lord, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have as your people to assemble as your people, Father. That's a freedom, that's a, that's a privilege that we do not take lightly, Lord, and so we thank you for the opportunity to do that. Lord, our prayer now is that as we open up this book, as we look at these words, Father, that you would send your Spirit to show us your Son in these words, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would take these words, Lord, we believe them to be eternal, we know them to be true, Lord, and I pray that you would write them on each of our hearts, that we might leave this place and follow you in faithful obedience. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, Not too long ago, about a year ago, actually, around this time of year, I took uh, my son, Zach, 13-year-old, camping, just kind of a father-son camping trip. It was something that we had been wanting to do, and so uh, he likes to fish, and likes to be outside, and so we we went camping out at Lake McBride, and uh, we spent just a night there. Uh, You know, we don't have all the fancy camping equipment, so it was like a sleeping bag on the ground, okay? Now, I, like, right now, the idea of camping, I've talked about some things in the, in the past that, like, the idea of is really fun, but when it comes to actually doing it, maybe not so much. For me, camping is kind of in that realm. Like, I love the idea of camping. I really get excited about it. I think it's fun. Usually that night, it's a lot of fun, being under the stars, having a fire, right? But I can, with complete, like, assurance that I'm be totally truthful, say, I have never once gone camping, woken up in the morning, and thought to myself... I am so glad I did that. (laughs) That was a great idea to lay on that rocky ground all night long. Like I have never actually done that, right? Usually I wake up in the morning and it's like, let's get out of here, all right? That was terrible. I want to go sleep in a bed, right? Well, this camping trip was kind of like that. We fished a little bit in the morning. We got home, and literally as soon as I walked in the door, I kicked off my shoes, and all of a sudden, there was a spasm in my lower back. Some of you remember that I had to borrow the pulpit from Central just to like lean on that week, right? I ended up having a herniated disc. It was, never had anything like it. It was incredibly painful and it was like it lasted for a week. If anybody's had that, you know that, that what can happen is you, you might be able to find a position or kind of some moments where you're comfortable and you can kind of move a little bit. Mine was like just laying down was the most comfortable thing. And so, but then, you know, the challenge would be once you would get up and maybe have to go to the bathroom, the first day or two was really brutal. Um, I would get out of bed and I would maybe, take like a step, and all of a sudden, the lower back would start to spasm, and I would just be stuck, just be stuck, right? And I would see the bathroom, and the other side, <laughs> Jesus. I'd get to a wall, and literally, it was like, oh, God, you know, like I can, I, it just, it was painful, it was miserable, right? I, I could see where I needed to be, and I measure that up with where I am, and it was discouraging to say the least, all right? Now, that's kind of a funny story, but I think for some of us, for some of us, if we think spiritually about where we are, a lot of us can relate to that exact same thing. And I would say, really, the Christian life, if you're living the Christian life, you should be able to say, amen, all right? Because there are times in our life, maybe for some of you, that time is right now, where you too feel stuck, where you feel stuck. You look, like you know, you've read the Bible, you've been with Jesus, you know where he's taking you and where you're going to end up. But when you measure that next to where you currently are, sometimes there can seem to be an immeasurable gap between the two. You can feel, spiritually speaking, stuck. Our our passage reminds us this morning, and I I love these two verses, really these two verses are, are kind of the main idea in the, in the letter to the Colossians that Paul writes. And, and they're a fantastic two verses for the topic of spiritual growth. This is where I'm at. That's where I'm going. How do I get there, right? Well, what Paul tells us in these verses is something very interesting. And, and you may think, well, that's surface-level stuff, Doug. Right, give me something deeper. But it's pretty fascinating when you think about it. He tells us that in the same way that Jesus is what we need to be saved the exact same way that we need Jesus to be saved. Likewise, we also need Jesus to grow. In other words, Jesus is sufficient for our salvation, but Jesus is also sufficient for our sanctification, sufficient for our growth. You know, Paul in his letter to the Galatians, he's writing to a church that he loves deeply. This is unique because he has never been to the church at Colossae. He's our people, uh, and he's caught wind that there are people who are beginning to teach false teachings. Things that aren't true at this church. And essentially what he is trying to combat is the idea that Christ isn't enough. That in order that they have received Jesus, in order for they to continue to grow in their spiritual journey, they need to add to Jesus, right? That, Paul says, is a significant problem. That is a problem. So to combat this false teaching and to encourage the church in proper understanding of the Christian faith, Paul begins his letter in chapter 1 by pointing them to Jesus. If you read chapter 1, you will see, well, the whole Bible is about Jesus, but chapter 1 also is all about Jesus, all right? He's pointing them to Jesus, the very object and source of their faith. He reminds them in chapter 1 who Jesus is, who Christ is, namely that he is preeminent over creation. And he also reminds them of not just who Jesus is, but what Jesus has done. How he has reconciled them to God. He has brought peace. Where there once was hostility amongst people, he has brought peace between people and also peace between man and God. He has reconciled them to God, who Jesus is and what he has done. And then in verse 28 of chapter 1, Paul tells us his aim. Not just his aim in writing this letter, but really what Paul's aim is in life and in ministry in general. He says... Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And check out this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All of Paul's labor and all of his suffering, if you think of this man, I mean, he is, oftentimes when we think of Paul, he is like this spiritual rock star, right, that almost seems unattainable because of how, just to what, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You want to kill me? Fine, but great, I win anyways, right? This is a man who loves Jesus, whose life is sold out for Jesus, will do whatever he needs to do to tell others about Jesus, travels all over the place, Jesus, 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 Right? He's an amazing man. And he tells us that all of this laboring, all of his suffering, is because he wants to present others mature in Christ. He wants to see not just people receive Jesus. He wants to see those people grow in Jesus. And really when we think about what we're doing here at Parkview East, it's the exact same thing. Right? It's one thing to tell others about Jesus And to invite them to Jesus. But it's another thing to see them grow and walk with Jesus. And so that here, when we think about how we make disciples, growing each one towards Christ-likeness in maturity is a a significant part of what we do. Verses six, there's a couple things that we see here. First off, I'll just point out a few. First thing we see is is the resource that we have in verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And and really I just want to point a few things out in this verse. And and the first thing is this word receive. Draw your attention to that. As you have received Christ Jesus. When you think about the resource, the assets, the thing that we have received, this word received, it's a technical, it's a, it's a deeply theological word. Now, if you think about the audience who is originally hearing these words, they would have been familiar with this technical theological word received. It is a word that's associated with a tradition, receiving a tradition. The Jewish tradition would have been included with the Torah, along with all the oral tradition and the teaching and the teaching on the teachings. All of that stuff accumulated around 200 A.D. in what's called the Talmud, right? And, and the way which the Talmud it was the Old Testament it was the Torah plus the commentaries and the oral traditions. All of that stuff collected. And if you were a Jew, you, what your job was was to pass this tradition, this Talmud, on to the next generation. Right? And so as they hear the word received, what they're thinking of, their mind is going to the idea of passing this, this Talmud, this tradition from one generation to the next, Jewish audience. But what, what Paul says here is that tr- the tradition that you are receiving, yes, there's teachings, there's the Bible, of course, but your tradition, what you are receiving is primarily, what does he say? Christ Jesus, the Lord. That is our tradition. And as Christians, we are receiving the exact same thing. We are receiving Christ Jesus. He is our resource. He is our tradition, right? This is what it means. That's what unites us is we are a people who have received Christ Jesus. This is a gift. This is a privilege, right? And as we say here at Faith Academy all the time, as I say at home with my kids, with every privilege comes... Responsibility, right? Responsibility. In exact, we see the exact same thing here in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, this tradition, your tradition is Christ. As you have received him, so walk in him. This is our responsibility. We are to walk in him. Really, this verse serves as a wonderful summary of the Christian experience. As you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, The long-awaited one, the Christ, the the deliverer, right? The one who is, sorry, the Christ is the Messiah, the long-awaited one. Jesus is the deliverer, the Savior, right? And, And Lord, he's the ruler of the world. As you have received him, now you are to walk in him, now, if you were to just take that word walk and look throughout the Bible, you would see it is everywhere in the Bible, right? In the New Testament, is used some hundred times. In the Old Testament, it's used some 1,500 times. And this word oftentimes is used to talk about just walking along the way. But a lot of the times, it's used to describe your spiritual journey. Your spiritual journey can be categorized with this word walk. Just, let's just look at a few examples that we see in the Old Testament Genesis chapter 17, 1 through 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn to there. Begin Genesis, a few verses in Genesis. God makes this, this wonderful covenant with Abram. He says in verses one and two, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. God tells Abraham to walk. Before him. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you will hear a godly king being described as a man who walked before God. What does this idea of walking before mean? Well, in the Old Testament, oftentimes in ancient Near East, a lot of times, somebody who would walk before a king really would be a servant of that king. And that servant's job was that as the king was coming into a town, the servant would go out ahead of him, walk before him, would proclaim the king is coming, would herald his name, and prepare the way for the king. That's what it means to walk before God, to be a servant of God. If you were to flip back into Genesis chapter 5, you would see another description of somebody who walked with God. You would see Enoch lived to be some 365 years, and he's described as a man who simply walked with God. He didn't walk before God. He walked with God. Such a simple yet beautiful description of a godly life. Somebody who walks with God. So taking the idea of servant and bringing it so that it's actually more like a friend. The image of somebody walking with, hand in hand. This is an intimate friendship. This is the kind of relationship that Enoch had with his God. Genesis 6, 9, you hear Noah. Noah, likewise, would describe it in a similar way. Noah was a righteous and a blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. As the Colossians are hearing this idea of walking in Christ, as it's landing on the ears of the original audience, and they're thinking about Christ as their tradition, they received Christ... They would add up all the Torah and the teachings and the teachings that they collected in the Talmud and you could basically divide it, if you were to take that, the Talmud, the tradition that they received, you could basically divide it into two different categories, right? And those two different categories, one would be the Haggadah, which was essentially the narrative, so if you were to look at all of the Talmud, the tradition they received, and this Haggadah was essentially the narrative, it was what told the story of their faith, the story of their tradition, It is the narrative. It's the part of the Talmud, not necessarily by volume, but by topic, that covers all of the stories where Moses parts the Red Sea, where Noah builds the ark. All of that stuff within the Talmud is called the Haggadah. But the second part of the Talmud is called the Halakha. Now the Halakha is different from the Talmud, from the Haggadah, in the sense that the Haggadah teaches the ethical requirements. Its focus is on the law. And as their word continued to grow, the rabbis would take those teachings and they would begin to adapt it from one year to the, kind of from one generation to the next. How do we take those stories and these ethical commandments and apply them to our, as the world began to modernize, apply them to our world and be faithful and obedient to scripture. And if you were to take this word halakha, and what does it mean in English? The word halakha, the ethical requirements, how you should live. It simply means walk. The word is boiled down to just walk. And so what the Colossians are hearing is that Christ is your tradition and Christ is your walk. If you want to figure out how you should live your life, how you should behave, how you should form your character, the emphasis is on Jesus, is on Jesus. Jesus is enough for your salvation and Jesus is enough for your sanctification, Now, as we think through what does it mean to walk, I want to give you just five sort of challenges, five ways to help shape your walk. And the first one we see right here in the text, the first one is that you should walk in Christ. He goes on in verse 7 to give us several ideas of what it looks like to walk in Christ, the first being that you should be rooted, right? Rooted. And when thinking about what it means to, to walk in Christ, we see that this word rooted means essentially our past. It describes our past, positionally where we are in Jesus, We are rooted, right? We are rooted. God has graciously seeded my life into the soil of Christ's unchanging and immeasurable grace. This is my position. I am rooted. My life is rooted in Him. My hope is grounded in Him. My identity is found in Him. And my future is secure in Him. No matter my circumstances, no matter what comes my way, I am rooted in Christ. This is where we stand positionally before God we are rooted now illustrations in the New Testament help us give meaning to what this is John 15 is a great place where where Jesus talks about he calls himself the vine I am the vine and you are the branches his challenge to us is to remain branch connected to the vine and everything that he has the plant has that flows through the vine comes into the branches right all of his power all of his authority his love his strength flows from the vine into the branches This is what it means to be connected, rooted in Christ. These words should be an encouragement to us this morning. No matter how tenuous, no matter how treacherous life can seem at times, you know for certainty that you have been rooted. If you have received this tradition, Christ, you are rooted in Christ. That's where you stand. The next term that he uses is rooted equals our position in Christ this idea of being built up is where we are currently at now there might be times when it may be hard to look at where God you know wants you to be and compare that to where you are and it may be seem like this immeasurable gap the distance that where I am now and that to where I need to be it may be difficult God tells us we are rooted and regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on in our life, regardless of whether we feel it or not, he says you are being built up. The verb tense is super helpful, right? This is pre- our present status with him, right, is that we are being built up regardless of what we feel like. We are being built up. Last thing that he says is that we are established. The work that God has started in us will continue. We are established in faith, abounding in thanksgiving, right? The, the, the work that God has begun in you, he will see it to completion. The, the, the challenge is when we look at our life, we may not feel that all the time, right? This, this verse should be a wonderful assurance that God is at work in your life. We are called to walk in Christ. Now the next thing is that we are not just called to walk in Christ, but we're also called throughout Scripture to walk like Christ. To walk like Christ. I've I've shared this with some of you in the past, but for me, when I look at a moment in my life where I saw the most growth, it was probably when I was in college. And, and there was a period of time where I had gone on a mission trip. I really began to, to, to wrestle with what God's calling was in my life. And I came back to the university, and I was, I was studying. And I really kind of pulled back from some of my social circles and, and just spent a lot of time with God's word. And um, I was at the, this is around the time when 24-7 had those yellow shirts. Remember anybody? Long time ago, these yellow shirts. They tried to have every student wear yellow shirts, and so there was like hundreds of students on campus wearing these bright yellow shirts, and it just said 24/7. And I was sitting at the coffee shop, Java House downtown, and I had my yellow shirt on, and, and I was just I was studying, and, and this gentleman came up to me, and his name was found out later. His name was Brother David. Brother David came up to me, and uh, he had this really long beard. He he looked like he maybe made his clothes himself. Um, he, he, he just didn't quite fit in at the time. Now, probably would have fit in a little bit more, <laughs> all right? Some of you might have been terrified to see this man, like, where's the lumberjack at? But came up to me, and as he saw me there with my shirt on, I think he knew what was going on, and he simply said these words to me. He said, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, Quoted First John 2.6. And then Brother David walked, he just walked away. Right, and I was like, "That was a trip. That was weird." Right, and I was just studying. I thought, "I better. What is he talking about?" So I got up and I went after this man. I said, "Hold up! Like, what are you? What are you suggesting? You know what I mean? Are you suggesting something right now that I'm not walking because I'm sitting, or what, what's going on? You know?" And so we began to engage in this conversation. Found out that he lived, just made his own tent and lived in his tent and out in the country, he fixed bikes and, and just engaged people in spiritual conversations. Now all of his ideas of what it meant to follow Jesus as we talked and I began to understand what he was saying, what he believed, not all of them were super, did, do I agree with even to this day. But what that conversation did was it called me maybe for the first time in my life to question this verse in my life. Am I walking like Jesus walked? Am I walking like Jesus walk? And first, in Paul, Paul says the same thing. For me to live is Christ. If I'm going to live on this earth, it's going to mean Christ, right? He says he invites in First Corinthians chapter 11, 11, 11, 1, for those to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Our Christian life is about imitating Jesus walking the way he walked and this is something that each and every one of us should struggle with should wrestle with how did Jesus walk how did he walk and and if you look at his life and you begin to see how he walked and and the things really the goal should be the things that Jesus loved as his disciples those should be the things that we love Right? And so as followers of him, I don't know how you can do this without spending significant time studying the life of Christ. Right? I don't know how you can do it without knowing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John specifically, the ins and outs of his stories, the way he interacted with foreigners. How did Jesus interact with the sick? How did he interact with the poor? How did he interact with those who looked different than him? And as Christians, our goal is to follow Jesus and to to love what he loved. How did Jesus treat his enemies? What did he say to his enemies? How did Jesus talk to those who oppose God? Jesus was bold. He said things that hurt, that hurt, hurt people, like landed on their ears. It was like, ah, hard to hear. Right? Jesus didn't please everybody. He was faithful to the Father. How did he love? Jesus frequently withdrew to spend time alone with God the Father. Jesus the Son spending hours with the Father. If Jesus needs to do that, how much more do you and I need to do that? Learn from Jesus how he loved the lost. What a great reminder this morning of to what lengths he would go to save the lost. How he spent time with sinners, with those who had different views than him. Just think about that. How significant that is. One of the things I'm learning to love is is interacting with people, even within the flock, who have different views. That is a good thing, and we need to be able to do that in a healthy way because we can't be challenged. Obedience is the key. Christ-likeness is the key. And if we throw that on the table and say, listen, we have a mutual goal. I want Christ in my life. I want to be like Christ and I want Him in your life. I want you to be like Christ. Some of this stuff needs to get hashed out. Brother David gave me months of wrestling over things that I never thought I would have wrestled over before. Looking at my life, first looking at Jesus and then looking at my life and saying, okay, do I love the things that Jesus loves? That's the goal. We want to walk like Jesus walked. The next thing is, I think this is particularly helpful for us, especially on Sunday mornings when we gather as a people. It may sound kind of weird, but just hear me out. is to walk in reality. We want to walk in Christ. We want to walk like Christ. But we also want to walk in reality. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if you've been spending much time, I was lamenting this week. That's a sanctified way of saying complaining, just in case you didn't know. I was lamenting... <laughs> this week with a couple of brother in the house here my wife as well about all of the construction that's happening in town perhaps you've noticed on the roads right just the last week I was going to registration at junior high I know it's gonna take me 20 minutes great I'll leave here I know where to go I'll leave a little bit of margin right well I got on Riverside and it was on one lane I was like this is ridiculous so I took Benton Street real quick to get onto Mormon track well guess what have you been on Mormon track Let me just lament a little this morning. One lane, but nobody working. What's the deal? I don't know. Maybe there's something that's going on I don't know about. Anyways, everything in town, every road, every main way into town, every main way through town is under construction, right? Now, I share that because the reality is every person in this room, myself included, is likewise always under construction, Every single one of us under construction. And sometimes we tend to separate ourselves from reality and think that we ain't. Or what's probably more common is look at other people around us who look like maybe they're a few steps ahead of where we currently are and we can think that they're not under construction, all right? The truth is every single one of us is always under construction. God is continually working on each and every one of us. That's one of the challenges with navigating this world, is that we still have to deal with sin's presence in our life and sin's presence around our life. We live in a broken and fallen world, right? Every single one of us, every single one of us is under construction. We may be tempted to look at spiritual giants in our life and think that they've got it all figured out. Well, guess what? That's probably exactly who Satan wants to trip up, all right? Be real about sin in your life. Be real about it. Because if you are not real about it, how can you stand any chance in defeating it? If you are going to walk throughout life and act like you don't have anything to work on, that's a problem. That's a problem, okay? When you walk in these doors, I mean, this this should just, what it should do is completely level the playing field here at Parkview East. We are all... We are all beggars in need of food. Every single one of us is. All right? It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Every single one of us is under construction. Walk in reality. Just be real. All right? Fourth thing I would say is walk by the Spirit. We see in Galatians, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Right? That's what we're just talking about. Let's not get conceited with where we are spiritually. Let's not look at others and long for where they're at or think that maybe we're in a better place than they are. Right? We are to walk by the Spirit. You know, Jesus, when, when, before he was preparing his disciples for really what would be his crucifixion, resurrection, and exaltation, he says this, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. And greater work than these will he do because I am going to the Father. It's actually to our advantage that Jesus is in heaven sitting on the throne. Because by him being in heaven sitting on the throne, he sent us a great comforter, his Holy Spirit, who each and every one of us have access to. Every single one of us. And we need to walk by that Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is what we do when the desires that are produced by the Spirit are stronger than the desires that are produced by the flesh. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Those desires that the Spirit creates within us are stronger than the desires that are produced by our flesh. How many times in a day do you call on, on the Spirit for help? How many times in a day? It's a wonderful reminder. I think it's one of the the great challenges of living in our modern world where we feel like we can just do whatever we want with a click of a finger, that we don't have to be dependent on anybody except for ourselves. It's one of the greatest lies of our generation that you are enough. It's a great lie. It's a great lie. To to do what Jesus has called us to do without the Spirit, you and I don't stand a chance. That's the truth, right? But the great news this morning is that he's given us everything we need, everything we need to live the life he's called us to. And and the last thing I would say, the last challenge would be walk with others. It's to walk with others. In Colossians 1.10, Paul says, So as I so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God fruit in our life we learn throughout the old testament is really evidence of the spirit working in us and growing us in conformity of Christ's image fruit much like a tree bears fruit evidence of what kind of tree that is anybody who knows i'm not somebody who has got a green thumb but i do know this that if you want to plant a fruit tree and you want fruit to set on that tree most trees unless they're self-pollinating you have to plant in twos and threes in a group right in order for them to pollinate each other well the exact same principle applies to the body of christ what we can be tempted to do is to pull back in isolation Shirley Turkle's book, Together Alone, we can try to live together in this world alone from each other through social media and all those different avenues, isolate ourselves from different people. But the idea is that in order for us to grow, we need one another. We sharpen one another. It's, we pollinate one another. Growing isn't an individualistic concept. We grow best when we cross-pollinate each other. And we suffer when we are alone. I think we try to do this in a variety of different ways here at East. I mean, we have community groups set up, and there's nothing fancy about that word but or really even that structure, but the whole idea, the whole function of that is to, to force us to not walk through life alone, that we would grow together. And, and thinking about just being real, I don't, I think this is a Midwestern thing. I don't know. But as I've gone to different places in different countries, it might be an Iowa thing. It could just be a fern thing. I don't know. All right. So, but as I got into different places, what I have noticed, like Ukraine is a good example. We spent a lot of time in Ukraine. And one of the things that we always perceived was that people were very stoic at first. All right. It took a while to kind of break down that wall and to get a smile. But the, the moment you got kind of connected with somebody, the moment a smile crossed the you came across their face, right, the wall started to came down, and instantly that relationship, that friendship was really, really deep. Like, they opened up their home, they opened up their life, they shared all kinds of things, right, but at first it was kind of like, hmm, not sure where this is going, right? I think think one of the challenges we have in our particular context, in this particular city, is the opposite is what happens, right? We lead with a smile. We lead with a smile, and our temptation, and I don't know where this is coming from, but can just be a very surface level thing for a very long period of time. And it can take a while to really be real with one another. To really be vulnerable. It's in the context of community groups where you do that. Where you confess sin. Where you point out inconsistencies. This doesn't seem to be walking by the Spirit. Or this doesn't seem to be like what Jesus would do. Not to sound cliche. But With each other, when we walk together as a people, we're able to do that. Again, what's the goal? The goal is maturity. It's Christ-likeness. One of the things that we're going to be starting here soon as well is going to be on Sunday mornings, not till later in September, we're going to have really kind of like a growth hour that happens before worship, where we're going to come together, be from 9 to about 10, and we will have different opportunities for you to grow deeper in the world, in the word, and deeper together with each other as well. And so we'll have different topics that we feel like as a church we really need to grow in. We'll make that available from 9 until 10. And so as those things start to happen, you'll be aware. It won't be like necessarily every Sunday for the foreseeable future, but we'll offer several classes over the next year for us to grow deeper in God's word. Right, And so growth is a vital part, important part of the plan as we make disciples. One thing I just want to point out real quick, and then I'll just pray for our time this morning, is uh, just a lovely story in Acts 4. I love Acts chapter 3 and 4. If you're familiar with the story, um, it's shortly... It's when uh, Peter and John go into the temple to pray. I always say that because Mrs. H has a song. Peter and John. It's stuck in my head, all right? Peter and John go into the temple to pray. As they're walking, they see a lame man on their way. And I, trying to not use the lyrics from the song to tell the story, but it's hard. I can't. <laughs> they see him and they heal him, right? And this wonderful picture of, of Peter and John and this this lame man, like, like, praising God for what he has done, this healing, and all of a sudden, the the authorities begin to see the threat, and they understand, like, wow, this is no small thing that has just happened, and they begin to lean in and interrogate and ask questions, right? And I love verses, verse 13 in chapter 4, it says this, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, right? Right? These disciples, these followers of Jesus. If you think about the disciples and you think about their path, it was not a smooth path, right? These are men who betrayed Jesus, their leader, their friend. They turned their back on him. He was murdered before them, right? These men are now following him by faith, And as they do, they're probably rejecting, like, who they are as a people, as a culture. Their culture is no longer, is against them. Their country is against them. Their family and friends, probably against them. Immense persecution will follow. And here they are, standing before these religious rulers, with this man that they just healed, by the power of Jesus. And they look at them, and they're uneducated, common, normal men. But look at the next sentence. And they recognized... That they had been with Jesus. If you remember Mark chapter 3, the call that they would come to him, that they would be with him, and that he would send them out. Although that that path was not always smooth, although there were bumps along the way, right? There was probably God would put up a board in their life and the board would pop off and put it back up, you know what I mean? They're a work in progress under construction, and as they interact with people who are opposing the faith, what they recognize about these men is that they had been with Jesus. That they had been with Jesus. When When I think about what we do here at East, and about the witness God gives us in the world, wouldn't it be amazing is as a result of our growth and our maturity in Christ-likeness, if people look at your life, they look at my life, and they come to the same conclusion. The only reason why you are who you are is because you have been with Jesus. That's the true sign of maturity. And that's the goal for each and every one of us. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you, um, Lord, just for that truth that each and every one of us is under construction continually. Lord, and I thank you that you have not left it up to ourselves, that we would um, somehow figure out how to pull ourselves together, conquer sin in our life just by ourselves and our own strength, Lord, and, and become who you've designed us to be just by our own strength, Lord, but that you have given us what we need. And my prayer, my prayer this morning, Lord, is that each and every one of us would be known just like those men, those disciples were described, people who had been with Jesus. Father, so I pray that your Spirit would work on our lives, would work in our lives, that as you direct our steps in our path, Father, that we would continually walk in Christ, that we would walk like Christ, Father, that we would be real with where we're at, Lord, that we would be led by the Spirit, and that we would do it together as a people. We love you, and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.